0: Great to see everybody. We are almost to Thanksgiving. This is like the best time of the year. I hope you're feeling the the holiday vibe. It's kicking in. I was at the mall uh, earlier this week and the Christmas music was on the whole time I was there. It feels a little early, but that's all right. It's happy. Um, uh, so uh, you have me again. Uh, And again, so uh, Scott and Danielle were uh, visiting with our sister church in Rancho Cucamonga. Um, And uh, they'll be here later for our dinner. But um, uh, Scott has asked me to continue his series of sermons from the Gospel According to Luke. Uh, And uh, I'm told that brings us to chapter 11. Uh, which I love, Luke chapter 11. I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, but you you will be hopefully by the end of this evening. Um, and you'll see, for the most part, uh, the the verses we'll consider together this afternoon have to do with prayer. Um, and they, it's I suppose you could say it's like an instruction on prayer but it's not the kind of instruction one might expect, uh, in my opinion. Um, and it reminds me, and maybe this image can help us as we go along, perhaps not, but um, have you seen uh, the movie Goodwill Hunting? Has everyone seen that? It's it's raw. It's a rough movie. It, it won the Oscar Best Picture, I think. It was like 97 or sometime around them, late 90s. Um, but there's a scene, so for those of you who have not Seen the movie? Uh, it's about this like really intelligent young man who has this amazing gift of learning and absorbing information, and he's like smarter than kids who have you know degrees at Harvard. Yet he doesn't even have a college degree. He's just this brilliant kid. But he's he grew up in very dysfunctional homes, a very challenging setting, and so it's a smart kid mixed with. Emotional challenges, um, and he has a oh thank you so much. Um, he has he has eventually he has a, a therapist uh, played by Robin Williams and the emotionally challenged intelligent young man I don't know if that's the right way to describe him but is played by Matt Damon. Uh, but. He, as you can imagine, uh, if you're smart, I wouldn't know this, but if you're smart <laughs> and uh, you're young, you're probably also what? Arrogant, yeah, a little bit probably. You don't have to be young to be arrogant, I found out. But, um, but of course he is, and he kind of shows off and put, puts the therapist in his place and really touches a nerve with the therapist one day. And the therapist, uh, Robin Williams, thinks about it for a while. And in their next session, he takes them out to a, a pond and they sit on a bench. And he, he challenges him. And he says something like, I can't remember all of it, but he's like, if I were to ask you uh, about art, you'd probably tell me about the Sistine Chapel and how it was, how it was made, how it was painted, Michelangelo's vision for, for this you know, amazing place of worship. You tell me all about like, the colors and the, how the light hits it and the architecture. He's like, but have you ever been to the Sistine Chapel? He's like, I don't think you have. He's like, you've never stood underneath it and looked up and breathed in the air in that cathedral and smelled what it's like there. He's like, if I asked you about love, you'd probably quote some sonnet to me, some poetry. But have you ever been in love? Probably not. Because to love is to be c- completely vulnerable, something you're not great at. If I told you about hardship, or I forget, I'm, I'm butchering the scene, but uh, you, you'd probably tell me about some story. But have you ever been in war and held your dying friend? And he's getting at this, this, uh, this way of knowing Like there's knowing in terms of information. There's one thing to know about the Sistine Chapel and see it in pictures. But I got to imagine if you've been there, uh, it's a different experience altogether to go there and see it. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's one thing to know about somebody, to know maybe what their strengths are, what they like. It's another thing to know that person. And when it comes to prayer... This is one of the challenges I believe we face. because so we ask questions like, how do you pray? You should be asking questions like that. Hopefully you want to learn to pray well. Because I think, in my experience, prayer is a learned thing. I don't think you come into to the church building for the first time or do your very first uh, Bible lesson and immediately like it's downloaded how to pray. Not only do we need like a language for prayer, what, what to say, but m- more than that, like what's worthy of praying about, praying for? I feel like this is a lifelong project. And I feel like we're given a lot of help in the Christian scriptures. They, they speak often of prayer. Um, but you think about that for a moment. Uh, if you have a praying life, where did you get that? Where did you learn that? Probably a combination of the Bible and Christian radio and sermons, but I think mostly from being in community with others and listening to the way that they pray. Even the Bible itself is a kind of community because we listen to their praying. Take, for example, the book of Psalms, which is basically like prayer, right? Uh, but but, this is something of what uh how Luke gets at prayer, I think now uh how you doing okay, beginning in Luke chapter nine, this has been mentioned, Scott mentioned this uh near the end of chapter nine, Jesus begins a journey up to Jerusalem from the north um, and Chapter 10, which Scott talked about a few weeks ago, has a lot to do with what we're going to look at today. And I don't know if you remember some of the things that happened there, but he sends the, the, he sends out uh, some of his followers to go do these great things, and they come back all excited. And, and he tells them about what's happening in this ministry and, and what to be excited about. And last week I actually looked at Matthew chapter 11 about this uh, This invitation to rest, he says, all you who are burdened and heavy, heavy laden, come to me and I shall give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do you remember this? Um, And just before that, Jesus has this prayer, which he has in Luke 10 as well, which is, I praise you, Father, that you have revealed yourself to whom? You remember? Children. Not to the wise and learned, but to children. So in chapter 10, these followers of Jesus had, we know they had some experience with Jesus's praying life. We know that just from the context. And I think maybe that can color in some of why they ask the question that they do. But Jesus is, is, is asked about how to do what they've seen Him doing. Let's, let's read. Would you stand, actually? Let's stand as we read uh, from the Gospel, if you're able to stand. Um, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John, He means John the Baptist, taught His disciples. And He said to them, when you pray, say, "Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive anyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, "Which of you has a friend? Uh, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, whatever that means. We'll come back to that. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. But you you can see here how thinking about watching the Lord pray how you might find yourself like one of these disciples. Would you teach us to pray? Now, I doubt these men, growing up as they did, uh, where they did, at the time they grew up, I doubt they didn't know how to pray. I don't think they're asking, what is prayer? Teach us about prayer. I think there's, because they even say, teach us to pray, Master, like you're our master, like John, his disciples learned from him. We need a prayer that defines who we are. A prayer, not, not that I need you to tell me what prayer is, but we need the kind of prayer that will teach us what to aspire to. That will help us make sense of all that God has been doing. That will kind of mark the moment as we follow you. We need a prayer that captures what it is God is doing and what God's will is. And he gives them a prayer. He does, I think, a wonderful job. This little prayer is a bottomless pit. Uh, Pit's the wrong word. A bottomless well. (laughs) It's a bottomless well of having your thirst slaked if you're of the sort who knows not what to pray for. Because as it turns out, there are prayers that aren't great. There are are self-interested prayers. There there is a way, in my experience, of praying that, that actually leads you further from God and His will. I've learned a lot over the years from Abraham Heschel and his his uh, uh, view of prayer within Judaism. And I could probably give a, a series of classes on just what he said that would just be filled with quotes from him that would blow your mind. Uh, but he says things like, and I'm paraphrasing, a person may sit for hours and think, and no prayer come to pass. If prayer takes us out of self-interest. Prayer isn't just a monologue, just us talking at God. It's not really a dialogue. Not not really like the kind of dialogue we'd have with another person. It's not rightly to think of it as like a conversation. Prayer is this attachment to something massive. Prayer is to to re- Populate the world with wonder and awe to become aware once again of the goodness and grandeur and sovereignty of God. Prayer that might focus on, say, just my world may not help me much in terms of seeing what God is up to. Now, I don't mean to say that prayer is just there to teach us how to to dream or how to think. Prayer is our our response to God's work in our life it's an address but it's our response to his work but praying is this very I I don't love the word spiritual but for lack of a better term let me use it here praying is a very spiritual thing prayer is that thing that draws us toward God and his will as Heschel says I won't quote him anymore, I promise. I'll try not to. Uh, But as he says, we, we pray with our feet. That praying not only leaves us as we are, but it allows us to see the world from a different vantage point and somehow enlists us in a life that we've been praying for. The thing we are asking God for, we find ourselves not just talking at God, but participating in that very will of his. So he begins with this prayer. Now, you're familiar with Matthew's version, right? If you went to any kind of mainline uh, church, you probably prayed this on a regular basis, even maybe a non-denominational church. This is a very well-known little prayer, especially Matthew's version. How does it it go? Our Father, who art. I loved it. I knew art was going to be there, who art, which tells us it's a generational thing for a lot of us. We learned that. We should learn that again. I think we should pray that every time we meet, in my opinion. And there's a reason why. Because it's a wonderful prayer. It does, this little prayer, if you just prayed this prayer, if you gave your heart over to praying this little prayer, you will have prayed well. You will have said what should be said in prayer. Now, we don't like that. We don't want any written prayer. We don't need any stinking help praying. Prayer comes from the heart. It's about what I'm feeling in my walk with God. Well, not not so fast. there's, There's teaching about what God is up to and drawing us in the teachings of Scripture toward that, that it begins to saturate our lives of prayer. The book of Psalms does the exact thing, only it takes a lot longer (laughs) that Jesus has done here. The book of Psalms is all about the king. If you haven't read the Psalms, you should. You should read a few every day. They're wonderful. They will help you pray well. But they tell you about the king. And about halfway through the book of Psalms, all of a sudden they realize, oh, the king we need is actually not David or Solomon or Hezekiah. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord. In fact, there's a whole collection of Psalms 93 through 99 called the the Lord Reigns Psalm. Melachadonai, uh, they they begin. But it's a prayer for the reign of God. So Luke says, "How you doing?" You'll see how awesome this little prayer is in just a moment, and then I'll get to what I really want to talk about. Um, Father, Father, that's that's the first word uh, in this lesson on prayer. We'd like to learn how to pray from you. We've seen you do it. It's strange. You call the one we call God, and we understand him as Father, but you address him as Father. Like, we all know God is the Father of all. The Old Testament shows that. It's not a total jackknife left turn in the New Testament that God would be conceived of as a father. There's something about the way Jesus addresses the God of all creation. It's a sense of familiarity and reverence. It's hard to have both of those things, familiarity and reverence. But Jesus addresses the one we call God as father. And I think Father is really what Jesus wants to tell them about when he talks to them about prayer. Father. Really, this whole thing is about God as a Father and how how important that is if we want to begin a praying life. You can address the one they call God as your Father. Hallowed be your name. Anyone know what that means? (laughs) Hallowed be your name. Now, the name isn't even used here. His name isn't Father. His name isn't God. Right? God is just a title. Father is just a title. We talked about this in Exodus. God has a name, uh, but the name doesn't show up here. Hallowed or may, may your name be holy. Now, if you're praying that, Can you make God's name holy? Isn't God the one who makes things holy? Isn't a thing or a person considered to be holy precisely because of of its proximity to God? Isn't God the one from whom holiness goes out? This is an odd thing to say. God, may your name be holy. Do we imagine we make God holy? Yes and no. No, in the sense that we don't, God doesn't require us to become holy. But the way that we live our lives sets God's reputation apart as holy. In fact, it would be impossible as, a, as an, uh, an observant reader of the Hebrew Scriptures to not notice in this little bit, uh, hallowed be your name, hearkening back to the, the, the prophet Ezekiel. You're probably familiar with this passage, even if you don't know where it comes from. But Ezekiel says uh, something like, I will cleanse you or sprinkle you with water and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that you may live holy lives, basically show my holiness by the way you live. But even in Ezekiel, the people couldn't do that. God had to give them the heart to be able to do that. What a prayer. What a thing to pray for. To acknowledge as we're praying, what I do today, if you're praying in the morning, what I'm going to go ahead and do today will give those people or things that interact with me a sense of what God is like. May your name be holy employs us it gives us a job it calls us to a way of life that honors the name of god james talks something like this in his letter that we have christ named over us as christians we walk around being christian we're little christ right that's the idea we represent him may your name be holy What a thing to pray for. Father, may your name be holy. And may your kingdom come. Now we're talking. Think of all that is meant by this phrase. Now again, do we bring about God's kingdom? I don't think, not really. Not really. It's God's reign which comes into the world and we have an option to respond. And in in a sense, in the church, the kingdom of God is in Jesus and especially after Jesus, the kingdom of God is upon us, but not completely, right? If it is, it's, it's not a super powerful kingdom because it's left so much of God's creation broken. But we see the kingdom of God, even though it's not fully here, right? And so we live in this tension of the goodness and spirit-filled community which lives out by God's power the good life by God's power, not ours. But we live in a world replete with suffering, sadness, war, hatred, greed, violence, lust, sick ants, sick cousins, sick grandparents, depressed family members. We live with so much turmoil in our lives. To ask and seek, may your kingdom come, is to gather up all of that brokenness and imagine how different it would be under God's reign and rule. May the reign of God come. How many of you in prayer Let's just be honest. You don't have to raise your hand because you want to look good, but I know know better than that. We all struggle with this. How many of you, when you think of prayer, you get a little stressed out? No one? I do. I get stressed out. How much is there to pray about? Do any of you keep prayer lists? You probably don't because they're stressful. (laughs) You can't possibly cover it all. It's hard to think through all of the things that need prayer, big and small, people and wars, and all of it needs attention. And the people of God need to show up in these places of pain in prayer, seeking God, asking for help. And this prayer, to mean and understand, sets us on our way to pray big. To not pray small, but to imagine not just the healing of a few people, But God coming to reign over all things. And again, as we pray it, we find ourselves employed. You see that? As we pray it, may your kingdom come. Oh, wait, I live in your kingdom. May it come through me. May the reign of God be evidenced through me. The things that you would do if you were me, help me to try to do some of that. I could go on and on forever. Give us today. This is such a posture that, you know, we sit and we pray. Uh, What do we say um, uh, when we sit down? We do the obligatory prayer at the restaurant to show everybody we're Christians. We get our food. We say, God is great. God is neat. Let's eat or something like that. Or rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Like, no one wants to wait through prayer while your, your mozzarella sticks are, like, you know, tantalizing you, like no one wants to give God much attention in that moment. I, I get it. I think you're better off to just wait. You could thank God when your, your mind is more there, maybe. Maybe that's sacrilege. But, but it's this idea that every time we sit down to a meal, God has provided for us. We eat. And, in fact, most of the meals we eat were living things which lost that life that we may be sustained And we acknowledge the sacredness of being provided for. The Israelites had a whole story about this when they lived in the desert and God rained bread upon them. But to remember that God provides and seek provision. Spiritual, sure. And there's a big discussion. Is this like spiritual bread or real bread? Either way, it directs us to the idea that God provides. We need God's help. And again, don't you find yourself employed when you know that where you live there are families who can't have bread? And here you are praying for bread. Aren't you employed again in prayer? Isn't prayer seeking to move your feet and your hands? And forgive us. We may think, well, I've been baptized and forgiven. I don't need to ask for that. God's already forgiven me. No, we err in many ways all day long. Not just in looking too long at that image. In, in cheating or telling a white lie or speeding or something like that. But also in the good we fail to do. We are broken. And it's an acknowledgement of our need of the mercy of God to ask him. Forgive us. Oh, not just... see, fatherhood implies siblinghood or brotherhood and sisterhood. Not just forgive us, God, but, you know, like we forgive. Boy, it's it's an audacious thing to ask God to forgive us if we're unwilling to forgive others. Again, we find ourselves not only asking God to do something for us, but also summoned to be something different. What a prayer. All right. Lead us not into temptation. The, the the thrust is we need God at every turn. Spend some time with these these prayers Jesus gives us, but look at this is what Jesus seems to really want to expand. So imagine the word Father, and then like on a screen in like your disk drive or something, and it's a drop down menu, Father, and then he's like, let me expand on 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 something here for you guys. It's like you ask about prayer, and you ask for a script, teach us how to pray, but Jesus doesn't just hand them, say this. He does say, say this. But then he he goes further. He gives them a very small prayer, impossibly deep, right, but very small. And then he says, now, which of you, and it's a question, Uh, Your your translation may say something like suppose one of you. It's, It's a question in Greek. Which of you, it's getting you to think, he's drawing you out now, master, teacher. Which of you has a friend and the friend comes at night while you're sleeping and he pounds on the door. It doesn't actually say he pounds on the door. It might have been a polite knock. For some reason, I think if you're familiar with the story, you imagine him pounding on the door like crazy and he just won't stop. But it doesn't say any of that just as he comes at midnight asking for bread. And probably bread was cooked with the little community of houses together out in the courtyard. Everyone would know who had bread and who didn't. So he wants three loaves at midnight. (laughs) Like, I don't know if you've ever had a a fellow uh, parishioner, church member, brother or sister show up at two in the morning for anything, but we, we're that kind of community, right? Hopefully. It's annoying, but we'll give you what you need, right? He comes at night uh, this, in this hypothetical question. comes at night knocking, knocking on the door, supposedly. I need three loaves of bread. And he says, no, dude. Like, you know, and it's not like they have like bedrooms. The, <laughs> the, the, the homes are, are quite different in, in Israel in the first century. Um, probably they're all in the same, on the same mat or right next to you. are like, no, dude, we've locked up. The animal's our way. The kids are asleep. I'm not getting up and coming over to give you three loaves because you have a buddy in town. Like it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Let's talk in the morning, right? Now we imagine this. Well, well, what is Jesus trying to drive home here with this little story? Be persistent. Don't give up. Nope. That's not his point has nothing to do with persistence. Go back and look at it. Persistence doesn't come up at all. In fact, there's a a chapter a little later in chapter 18 with a judge. uh, Again, it's not really about persistence. This is not not a story about keep praying and keep praying and you'll eventually wear God out and He's going to give you what you want if you never shut up about it. That is not the point. This guy gets up in the middle of the night for a friend Why? Because of his impudence. What in the world does that mean? His lack of shame. This guy comes in the middle of the night and disrupts the whole household to give bread to his buddy. And because he's a friend and because he has such nerve to be so rude to do that, this guy will get up and give it to him. What does that have to do with praying? Is he saying we should be rude and and ask God for things and demand it? God, give it to me. Jesus told a story about being shameless in our prayer. I don't think that's the point. You see, they've asked about how to pray and what Jesus is doing is teaching them something about God that they might begin to pray well. The point is something like If you'll give a rude person bread in the middle of the night, how do you think your father is toward you? I mean, we do good things for annoying people. We do good things. You may think, yourself, I don't do much good. You have a streak in you that you'll do good things even when you're annoyed. Here's the point of this little story. How much more? How much more is God going to grant our requests? See, if you come to God and you imagine he's bothered with you or us. If we look at the problems in our own lives or in our own church or in our own town or in the world, we imagine God doesn't want to hear about that if we think that. Or we don't need to ask God for help, let's just do it ourselves. We don't know enough right about God to even pray well. Jesus doesn't just tell them about the Sistine Chapel. He tries to lead them into the cathedral, into the sanctuary. I want to show you what God is like. Because if you know who your Father is, you'll be able to pray a lot better. You asked for a prayer, but I'm going to tell you about your Father. Isn't that awesome? you will give a rude person bread in the middle of the night, imagine your father, think bigger. He goes on, he says, if anyone, if any one of you, if you're, if you're not sure and you seek God, you ask him, you knock on the door, he is not going to turn you away. Now what he's going to give you is going to go way beyond what you're, what you're asking for probably. But then he tells another little story. How are you doing? We're wrapping up. He says, which of you, another question, which of you now, now of you fathers, if you're, I can't imagine Hannah, one, I can't imagine Hannah coming to me, my daughter, and saying, Dad, can I have a piece of fish? <laughs> but but uh, maybe like a Snickers or something. Dad, can I have a piece of, uh, can I have a Sour Patch Kid or something like that? But so she, the child asks for a fish and imagine a father so evil that he tricks his kid and hands him a snake. It feels like a fish, <laughs> but it bites him. And then the dad, like, got him, gotcha! ha, <laughs> ha. Or imagine the kid is hungry and he asks for an egg, and you know how a scorpion, if it's balled up, and he hands it to him, I got, a, I got an egg for you, son, and he puts a scorpion in his hand. Ha, <laughs> ha, gotcha, scorpion. No one would do that. He says, but you're evil, and you wouldn't do that to your kids. You'd have to be a psychopath to do that. You're evil and you would give your kids good gifts if they asked you. How is it that you have the capacity as a broken human being whose propensity is selfishness because of sin and the sinful nature, you know how to listen to your children and take care of them and bless them and give them good gifts. Yet you know nothing about God. How much more? God will, if you ask Him, He doesn't say God will give you what you ask for. He does you one better. If you seek God, what does He give you? His Holy Spirit. Himself. His reign. To learn to pray well is to know something foundational about the One we call God. He is a Father who longs to hear from us and give good gifts to us. Don't hear me saying he wants you to win the lottery. He wants to give you his holy spirit. He wants to take up residence with you, draw you into his kingdom and his reign. Begin there. And I think that's a that's a tall order for a lot of us. We have to start with because what What things blind us to God in our culture? All kinds of things. Some of us, do you remember the line from C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters when the the older demon is instructing the younger demon? He says, you really want to get the people off course? Get them to pray to a God that doesn't actually exist. Get them to think all wrong about God, because then they'll be praying to a God that's not actually God, how God is. A lot of us find ourselves there. We're praying to God, but he's nothing like how we're relating to him. And we need to maybe come back to where we started and begin with, he's a father. He longs to help me. He longs to guide me through my problems, my questions, my restlessness. But that's to begin praying with faith. I love that Jesus does this. I love that Jesus is the kind of Lord, teacher, of master, who when we ask him for ten steps to a better prayer life, he instead says, here's a little prayer, and I want you to think about the Father. Isn't that awesome? We may not like it. We may wish Jesus would say, give us the Acts formula. Remember that, the Acts formula? Adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication—go through this formula every day. You'll be fine. No, He doesn't stop there. He gives us a fish. Uh, he teaches us to fish. Doesn't just give us a fish. Teaches us to relate to God. Well, if if we had any questions about whether or not God loves us, <laughs> we have this teaching. But we have what Luke goes on to describe in the cross and the resurrection, which is where we we meet. We we call this a time of communion. We commune together in this. We meet each other in the the thimbles (laughs) like we 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 find one another at the loaf which has been broken by some company that makes these communion things. If we if we had a, a table and we're eating, you'd, you'd see one of us break the actual bread and see this the rich symbolism inviting us to commune with one another over the fact that God has loved all of us. He wants all of us at the table. But we commune with Him as well. I love the communion part of every Sunday because it's, evidence to me that god doesn't want to remain far off we shout across the void to god in prayer and maybe he'll listen if we're if we nag him long enough i love the picture jesus has shown because it's what i experience in the cup every week god draws near present among us even now as we commune with each other and together with him but let's go to god in prayer um and we'll have the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank You for giving us knowledge of the Father. We read last week when You said, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. And here we have a revelation. We have uh, two little stories and a prayer which tell us that you are, are loving and able and willing, that you give gifts better than the ones we could even ask for. Father, I pray that you will help us to relate to you as your children, Help us to see you as our Father and us as brothers and sisters called to the kind of prayer that leads us deeper into the heart of your kingdom. Even communion isn't just a moment to remember God, but in it we feel called. We see the the pattern of how your kingdom comes in the world through the bread and the cup through suffering, through death, and through resurrection, but through your power, Lord. I thank you that uh, you are a Father who is among us, not far away, that you know our needs and you work to comfort us. Help us now, God, to be disarmed, to be open to you, to see the wonder of the bread and the wine and to relate to you as children. We thank you. It's in Christ. Amen.